I'm Alex Del Sordo with the Rowers Choice Network, and this is episode five, season three of our podcast. And we've been doing this long enough now. We've been doing this for over a year now. And each and every week, I get to talk to somebody about rowing. And it's one of my passions in life. You all know that. And this is a unique one. This is someone that's been in the U.S. system for many, many years. And I usually pride myself on knowing who, who everyone is. And I don't know who this is. This is Cam K because I cannot pronounce his last name. Cam, thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Very good. Thanks for thanks for the opportunity. And uh, and yeah, looking forward to the conversation. So it's uh, Cam, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. It's two guys talking about rowing. That's all it is. All right. So it's super easy, super casual. And I start every single podcast with the same question. Where were you? How old were you when you started rowing? Give me that. Give me that first experience. Sure. Yeah, it was uh, it was back in high school, and uh, my math teacher said, "Hey, Casoglis, you're uh, you've got one talent, and that's talking a lot. Um, I want you to come and sit in the back of the boat." So I was, you know, 13 years old, and quite quite the appropriate size at the time um, for, for for starting as a coxswain, and uh, had a bit of a, a rough patch back in in Sydney, Australia, where I'm from, um, in in playing cricket and. Uh, the opportunity to boss a bunch of big guys around was, uh, you know, it was a good idea at the time, and somehow I've kept it going for for until now at least. Oh, so I'm not going to age you, but it's been a long time, I imagine. <laughs> right? It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time, but it's been a good time. You know, it's 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 I've, I've been able to spin around the world a bunch of times and go to places I never would have gone to and met people I never would have met. Um, so it's been a it 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 was. It was a wonderful um, surprise at the time because I knew nothing about rowing and um, I'm still learning today. I like that you said you still learn today. So that's great. Now, Sydney, Australia. I've been to Australia. Uh, it's quite a place. I thought um, I thought Sydney, I thought Australia knew how to row. I mean, truly, like the, the you guys had Cox quads. You, you invest heavily in the sport of rowing. You basically have celebrities. When you row and you are successful in Australia rowing, you're a celebrity. Um, did you have any success in your time over there in high school or, or around that time? Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, rowing in Australia, um, you know, it's, it really is a, a lifestyle and, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities between rowing, particularly the high school level, um, you know, in some ways to, to rowing here in the US, but definitely to, to you know, high school rowing in the UK. Um, but, you know, for me, it was it was a it was a really nice blend between playing rugby in the wintertime and, and and rowing in the in the in the summer. And um, <clears throat> to directly answer your question, you know, my last race in high school was probably the, the, the worst race we could have had. Um, it was really disappointing. You know, we went to a, a bunch of national championships and, 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 and for, for a smaller program, you know, not unlike some of the smaller programs over here that focus on sculling, we didn't have an eight. So, you know, we, we primarily focused on, on the, on the four, the Cox four, mm. but, you know, I learned to scull at the very beginning. Um, so I knew, I knew a little bit about what was going on and, and they would, you know, they'd strap me on the erg from time to time. And, and, and I definitely felt like that was an important part of my own sort of development as an athlete. But but to be honest, I actually I actually focused on playing rugby uh, after I finished high school, and one of my buddies said, "Hey, l listen, we need a coach, and can you just come out and have a look at us?" And that 
that one conversation, you know, for me as a as a you know a brand new coach, um, sort of changed the game. And 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 so I think I think it captured my attention. And 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 like many of us, I don't think we ever really knew that we were going to end up you know in this sport for life. It was just sort of something. It was a good idea at the time. But you know, I think that's that's the one thing that that I think you know things like what you're doing here and, and, and what others are doing that sharing this message that rowing truly is a lifelong sport is, is, it, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing. Now, whether you, you've had success as a youngster or success at the beginning, I actually, I think, I think you'll find that talking to really successful people um, and, and those that have, have, have um, continued on, they're actually fueled not by the success. They're actually fueled by one event that really um, was incomplete, was unresolved and, and oh. they won't let that go, you know? And I think, you know, not to not to go straight to the professional game, but you know Tom Brady refers to you know his you know college experiences and remembers you know where he he, he was placed in the draft, and I think that that reminder of you know why we keep doing this is, is a pretty important um, a pretty important piece. I have been interviewing people for a long time, uh, and no one has ever put it that way, Cam. That there was one unresolved event that forced them into the sport forever. That's such an interesting thing now you you focused on rugby someone said coaching do you know your one event that said you know what i'm going to stick to coaching i'm going to stick to this sport forever <laughs> no <laughs> because i still you know someone said this to me a long time ago in the coaching game you know you're only as good as your you know your last result and i think i think that that mindset that you never know when it's going to be over um has always sort of stuck with me. I think particularly at the, at the the highest level, you know, you just never know if someone's going to turn around and say, "Hey, you're done." Yeah. So look, I think the the, the main the, the the main takeaway for me really has been, um, you know, we do it because we love it, and and I think that's that's that that's the primary reminder. But you know, at the elite level. The, the 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 level of competition now is like never before, and I think we're seeing that. Tr not just trickle down, but it's evident at the collegiate ranks. It's definitely evident at the high school ranks that, you know, the smallest mistake in a heat or a repechage or a semi changes the trajectory of, of, of not only the regatta, but the season. And, and for some people, you know, what they choose to do moving forward in, in the sports. So I think, you know, um, being being pretty pretty aware that we've got a good thing, but it's not forever um, is, 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 is a, it's, it's a good way to just keep things in perspective. I like that. So, okay. So you, you trying to get my timelines here. So you started rowing, but you were in, in the Cox and you did some sculling in Australia. Someone said, Hey, we want you to coach. And you, you really focused on that Avenue of, of the sport. At what point did you come to America? Like at what point did you move your whole life to, to this country? Yeah. So I, I, I was, I was a high school um, economics teacher in Australia and teaching, coaching rugby and, and rowing through the, the nineties. Um, and then moved to Japan for a couple of years because I'd studied Japanese. Um, and dear old Ed Hewitt and Row 2K, there was a job going in Washington, D.C. And, and, and the, the, the parent group at uh, Jeb Stewart High School in Falls Church, Virginia, said, hey, come on over for a couple of months, um, teach our kids how to skull. And, um, and, and really, that was, that was the turning point. So... Um, it, it you know I got it I got got into a master's program at Marymount University there not far away from Jeb Stewart in Northern Virginia and um, 
sort of that was the beginning of of you know that was 2000 2001 and then and then when when 911 hit it, i i really had a you know a big decision to make whether i was going to go back to australia um or 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 stick around with this stupid rowing thing in america and um so i decided to stick around i actually got into the phd program at virginia tech and um that sort of that that calmed things down because obviously that the, the the first year of moving across the world it's pretty uncertain and then to to, to throw 911 in all that i mean everybody's worlds were were thrown you know to to an end and 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 now my family said what are you doing in in america and i sort of somehow convinced them that that everything was okay um and 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 so yeah that was that was probably you know for me that was probably a, a significant event after 911 and, and getting to the phd program at virginia tech was when i sort of said okay i got to i'm going to i'm going to hunker down with this thing did you have a were you raising a family where you do like i don't know anything about you like did you have no. Anything no, just single guy just chasing around rowing boats, pretty much. It's um, so funny. You said this stupid rowing thing in America. The number of coaches and people that that call rowing stupid always astounds me because it's the truth. I say it. I hate it. I hate rowing. Yeah. Like, I have this love hate relationship. Uh, that's that's interesting. So early two thousands. It's so funny. Like Ed Ed Hewitt wrote two K, and you see on there like there's this job, right? It's so funny. So. You get this PhD, so clearly you're a smart guy. Um, what happens? What happens after you graduate with your PhD? What do you do? Where do you go? Well, it took me a while. Getting into the program was was enough of a battle. But in 2002, 2001, 2002, Ken Dreyfus um, and I connected, and and I was helping out with the the, the sculling program at at uh, at PBC Potomac Bike Club. And in 2002, um, one of our scholars, Brett Wilkinson. Um, got together with uh, Steve Gillespie and they rode the double in 2002 and they were looking for a coach. And so when I coached those guys um, in 02, that was, you know, that was my first team, um, my first national team. And then they went on and qualified the boat in 2003. And then um, Steve didn't make the quad, but Brett did in 04. And, 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 and I ended up coaching that boat. We went through qualification and, 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 and raced in, in Athens. So, you know, those couple of years, um, I w- I'd found a job um, doing some some work, actually, again, with some some Japanese um, uh, folks in DC. So things started to to look a little less um, unorthodox, I'd say. It didn't look normal. And and that's what I, you know, when, when we say stupid sport, who gets up at five o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter to go backwards with a bunch of people you've never heard before, heard of before, and then just keep doing it day in, day out? I mean, that that that's the piece that I have continued to try and explain to people and think, do I, have I completely lost it? You know, so wow. you know, that's, that, that's a bit, but you know, the, the, the wonderful thing is it takes us, takes us to places and, and, and introduces us to people that, that really, you know, that's sport, right? That's, that's what we yeah. do. It, it, we just never would have had the, have, have these interactions otherwise. So you go through an Olympic cycle and you're coaching a double. Uh, I mean, that that's for most coaches, that's the pinnacle, right? Like they did it. They got, they got to levels. So, what happens in 05? Like where, where, where are you taking your life after that point? Yeah. So I, I developed, you know, a, a really good relationship with Chris Korzanowski, um, who was, who was the, who's coaching sculling through the 04 um, cycle. And I started literally commuting backwards and forwards on a weekly basis to Princeton um, and helped, helped with, with Chris and, and, and we had the quad, the men's double white and the single, and the lightweight double there back then, um, 
and you know pretty much was was in support of Chris through through the Beijing um, through the end of the Beijing cycle. So you know Jamie Schroeder, Sam Stitt, they they both came through through Potomac during that time um, and ended up in that quad that um, that that finished fifth in Beijing. So that was you know and 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 that was pretty exciting because it was it was really the first time since Eagles Group in the nineties that we had you know, really good quad and, and, and a good, you know, it, it was just a really deep group. There were a lot of really good guys and it was. So, so I was a Potomac man from 2009 to 2015 and Sam Stitt, huge shout out to this guy. He is the most gifted rower I have ever been with. The guy, the guy could gain 20 pounds in the winter, right? Look like he just got out of a bar, sit on the erg and break 20 minutes. It's, I mean, honestly, he's one of the most gifted athletes I have ever come across in my life. And the guy just knows how to move a boat. He's unbelievable. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of fun times with Sam and, and absolutely gifted, gifted beyond belief. You know, first time I saw Sam was, was in the early two thousands and he was rowing a double with, with another guy that I didn't know at the time, but they got to know very well as Giuseppe Lanzone and they were rowing out of McLean with Jim Mitchell. And, and you're right. I mean, even, even watching them in those early days, um, you know, there, 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 there was, there was some real, um, <laughs> some would disagree with me, but some athletic talent between the two of them that, um, that, 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 you know, lucky, lucky for us, they found rowing, you know? And, yeah. and so, you know, I think, I think that that 08 quad with 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 Juice and and Sam, you know, and others, it, it was it was a it was a different time. And I think I think rowing, um, you know, rowing shifted during that period because, as you know, you know, the women started to to, to begin that 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 domination in the women's eight um, at the national team level, and and things in many respects, um, you know, they shifted around the world with rowing. And and, and I like you know, Tom Tejas. Um, webinar that he that he did for us with us rowing talks about the evolution of technique um mm -hmm. you know between 2000 and and, and the, the 16 cycle the 2016 cycle and i think that's it's a good example of just how the sport has has really shifted in the last you know four or five olympic cycles that you know again to my point earlier you know it's just become so much more competitive the razor edge is is so much sharper and you know, all the little details, they, they really, really matter. And how you balance that without becoming obsessive um, is, you know, is, is the, that's, that's, that's the magic, right? The, the, so my, I am convinced, and, and I don't care what national team rowers listen to me right now. I think the best era of rowing was 1998 to 2006. The strongest, most competitive, fastest men and women I have ever seen. That's my favorite era of U.S. rowing. Bar none, the stories, the, the, the imagery, uh, and I and I and I don't know, because I'm 35 and I still think the youth has changed in today's world. What do you think of today's era national team athletes compared to when you were coming into it in the early 2000s? Yeah, look, I think that I think the demands are just the, 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 there's just increased demands, and I think collectively we're being asked to do a hell of a lot more with significantly less resources and. And, and that, that I think, yeah, I think we're always changing. I think, you know, our parents' generation said that about us, their parents' generation said that about them and so on, you know, but, 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 you know, I think there, there, there's such a, there's such a rich history of rowing in this country. And I think there's such a rich history of sport 
across the US. And I think, you know, one of the, 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 the truly remarkable things for me when I first came over here and I'm still learning this is, is how the coach is sort of elevated in sport in America and in rowing and, you know, at the national team level. You know, certainly the, the late 90s, that, that early 2000 period was there were some really, you know, cool things going on. You know, obviously winning, the men winning um, in, in, in Athens, um, the men's eight, you know, the beginning of the women's, um, the, the beginning of, of Tom's, you know, and, and Laurel's work with the women, um, you know, but, but, but also the legacy that Spracklin left in the, in, 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 in the, in the, in the mid 90s. Um, and, and, and to be honest, you know, I think the work that, that Chris Korzanowski's done, you know, prior to that, prior to the 92 cycle, um, and then post 2000 has been, you know, really, like their cornerstones, their foundations that um, that I think we, we need to be reminded of because there's some really like like the coach education work that we're doing right now. It's all because of Chris. It's all because of Chris's work that's been going for for decades, you know. And so I think I think to to pinpoint, you know, I, I ask that question often of, of 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 some of those that I talk to and say, hey, what's your favorite race or what's the favorite crew you've ever coached? And, and to, you know, to pinpoint one particular period, I think, you know, the next six months, we're going to see so much in world rowing that's going to, that's going to, that's going to draw a, you know, it's going to draw a, a lens on everything that we've seen, um, you know, again, from, from our women through to, you know, what's happening in the UK with, with rowing, you know, how, how are things shifted in Australia? You know, where does rowing in New Zealand go? I mean, I think there's internationally because that affects everything that goes on here it affects collegiate rowing it affects what happens in the high school level you know so so it's, it's six months. you're absolutely right now i want to um i want to touch on one thing you said about the difference is increased demands and less resources can you like just explain that to me a little bit more like on what on, on what you're seeing like what limited resources there are compared to what it was 20 years ago well, you know, I think let's let's just pick one level. Let's pick our high school athletes. Perfect. You know, yeah, perfect. There's so many more choices for good collegiate programs to go to, and and how often we all get calls of where should I go, what should I do, how should I make my decision? You know, in addition to all the other things, they're not just rowing; they're doing all these other things to make sure that they look like they can differentiate themselves getting into to one of our college programs our college coaches are saying who do i pick from i've got these great kids in san diego i've got this kid that's athletic out of oklahoma but doesn't know how to row and i've got all these international kids that i'm looking at you know and then from our side at the national team level we're looking at how do we develop talent knowing that the level of competition at the at the collegiate level you know continues to get tighter but um we're also preparing athletes, you know, that we see at the, at the at the Olympic Games and the international level. So I think, you know, at the very very basic level, when you come out with a collegiate a really really good collegiate experience, the the major question that we 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 hear all the time is, what should I do? I want to row, but, you know, my parents have spent half a million dollars, or you know, we've spent, you know, eight years committed to rowing, and I don't know if it's worth not just another four years, but eight or twelve, because we know that. The, the the concept of overnight success is not real, but you know to, to really be successful at the international level, um, you, you got to stick around. So I, I I think about Sam Stitt as a good example because he's like one that I can draw from, and I know that he did it for uh, twelve or thirteen years. Like he went after it for twelve or thirteen years. He hit his peak in Beijing, 
And it took, I mean, he'll, he'll agree with me on this one. Like he was still figuring out rowing in life later in his life. And today's, I don't call it youth, but today's general culture is you're going to find success year one. So that's a, that's a good point. Like, I understand what you're saying that there's a greater demand, right. For, for other things besides rowing to be successful at, and then you tie in rowing, you want to win the Olympics and it's a culture shift. It's a culture change that you got to like adapt to. And I look at some of the athletes this past weekend, uh, last weekend, they were racing for the trials and there are some women and men that didn't make it. And they've been trying for 10 years. And like, that's, that's a, that's, it doesn't come easy. Right. I guess what you're saying, it doesn't come easy. Um, that's a lot. That's a hard thing to swallow. And then, so I want to shift gears a little bit because you've been at this at a high level. I challenge that rowing is not exciting and fun to watch. And someone that is at the highest level, what advice do you have or what can we do to make rowing more popular, more fun, more enjoyable for non-rowers? Um, well, I, I, you're a rower and you're saying it's not fun. So why do we even need to worry about non-rowers? Let, let's focus on the rowers. I mean, I think, I think the again, at the pointy end, the um, – the Olympic, the International Olympic Committee have said to us, if we don't figure it out, we're not going to exist the way we have. Mm. So, so it's coming from from that end. But, but I think you know what, what I'm seeing, particularly from the pandemic, but even before that, is we all need to come together and we all need to innovate. We all need to be creative. And how we do that is there are no bad ideas. Um, now, there there have been infinite creative ideas about our sport since the beginning of time. You know, um, whether it's not rowing on a straight side-by-side -side course, whether it's, you know, learning from, from sports like sailing, um, you know, looking at what's happening in, you know, sports like, you know, the, the, our arch enemies, the, the fun sports like BMX, you know, what the winter sports have done, where there's, there's risk factor. We have to think about the TV audience if we're going to survive at the pointy end, you know, and I think coastal is exciting. I think that's, that's moving in the right direction. I think, you know, indoor rowing, um, is certainly certainly going to to um, continue to to bring people into our sport that we never would have we never would have made contact with. But how we draw the connection between classical rowing, Olympic rowing, um, you know, coastal, indoor, and 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 I think one of the bigger messages is making our you know making the sport landscape and particularly rowing more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive, so that it isn't just something that um, that you have to have. You know, you have to be in the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1% to even have access to the sport. I think that, you know, and, and, and I go back to, again, my days on, on the Potomac and say, you know, those little yellow boats that would float around, you'd have 10 to 12 people just bouncing around the Potomac, learning how to scull over the course of a week. I think that's the kind of innovation where, you know, recreational sports like skiing and golf, they're not easy to do. They're really expensive. So, and that, they're, you know, a couple of the, the check marks for us, but how do we make our sport a, a little bit more accessible just from a, from a participatory perspective, but then secondarily, how do we make it more visual? How do we make it easier to, to get on bodies of water where it's not 2000 meters, eight lanes, you know, it has to be all of the requirements that we have in the traditional um, um, format. And that's a part of our sport, but it's not the entire piece. And I think that, that's the, the the broader sort of promotion that, that that you know 
we're all talking about it. We're all trying to do a lot, lot, lot for it, but it's going to take time, you know, for scholastic programs to change, for high school programs to change, for national championships. You know, it's it's not just uh, like, oh, we're going to change a sport overnight, you know, and, and look at sports like beach volleyball. Look at, you know, there, 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 there are sports out there that have, that have made ad- adaptations, but look at a sport like rugby or soccer or American football. They're having, they're being forced to change from an injury perspective, right? That, and, and they're seeing the numbers drop, you know? So, so we're not exactly in that, in that, that, that predicament yet, but you know, at the pointy end, if the IOC say you're out, you know, I think it'll help college rowing. I think it'll help scholastic rowing and, and, and youth rowing on some level, but, but you know, I think everyone within the, the international rowing community is working as hard as they can to keep our sport as relevant as possible. So I got to tell you, it's funny. We've, I don't know how much you know about Rower's Choice, but we, we made a conscious decision beginning of last year when the pandemic hit to be that different, like to be the innovative group. And what we've learned is that there is a subset, there's a group in rowing that doesn't agree with you on the concept of no idea is a bad idea. People have point like to me said, you're, you're an idiot. That's not going to work. That's a bad idea. And I'm just thinking like, well, there's two kinds of people in the world, right? There's people that innovate and people that pull down the innovators. And uh, we're finding that the people, and I generalize my term here, so I'm not you know, saying one or the other, but there is a group of people in the sport that have a louder voice than everybody else, that when there is an innovative idea, they say that's bad. And it's typically an older generation. Like it's an older generation, they don't like change, they don't like to adapt. Um, so I, I just hope that there comes a point in our sport that no idea is a bad idea. Because right now there's a large people that, that disagree with your statement. And I agree with you. Like I'm, I'm all about it, Cam. Like I think, no, just try it. Why not? Right. What's the harm in trying? Um, and, I, and I assume you agree with me on that, right? Well, I, I'm not saying get rid of, of, of what has been the tradition. I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I'm certainly a huge advocate of the history of our sport, but I, I just look at everything else we're seeing in the world and, and I'll go as extreme as to say, you know, we're being threatened by esport and 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 time spent in front of a screen, you know. And I think that I've resisted that, but for me, the pandemic pushed me over. And I said, you know, hey, I was in the middle of the lightweight four removal from the Olympics. I do not want the traditional event change. I actually think, and I feel you know, obviously quite strongly about the lightweight four as an Olympic event. That that, that there was a better way to, to to make that that shift to absolutely having gender equality in in, in Rome. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree with the premise. Was removing the lightweight for the best way to go? Yeah, I, I, I had a few other ideas. But that's not that's not that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's sustain and really promote the historical aspect, but let's build around. It. Let's make it easier for people to get into our sport. Let's make the sport even more fun because it's it's not that it's not fun, but let's let's make it easier for others to to come to come. And and, and I know look, there's always going to be resistance, and I think that's healthy. I think this is a a really healthy debate to say, how do we maintain where we are, but we can't keep doing what we've always done um, and, 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 and stay relevant in, in you know, and, and, and I'll go back and I think this is the, the best example. I've got some close friends in baseball and they're having the same discussion. How do you maintain history, but stay relevant, you know? And, and there are other examples in the world that if you don't stay relevant, you're gone. You know, and I think that's that's the age old that that's that's the balance in the d- debate. It's not change it and get rid of it. It's how do we evolve? 
Yeah, I, it's so funny. I wrote an article. Uh, I wrote, called an article. I wrote. A, I wrote a, my thoughts down, and I said that baseball is the perfect example of the only sport to ever truly adapt to its surroundings. You know, you look at when baseball started, and then in the 1990s, it was the steroid era, and they adapted to the world. Like people loved big explosions, and it was home run derby basically every damn game. And then it switched into into like high velocity speed pitches, right? And like that changed in the in the in the mid 2000s rowing historically is the same thing it was 100 years ago and you know this like hull designs haven't changed drastically the only thing that's changed is the materials that they use to build the boats um and knowing knowing manufacturing that i do i i, I can attest to that and it's the same 2000 meters uh i like your thing about maintaining history and styling but staying relevant that's a that's a concise way to explain what we need to do as an organ as a culture as uh, of rowing um, and and I will I will I will add that rowing is fun. I just meant on a on an audience perspective. Like I don't I love rowing and I I watch every race I possibly can get my eyes on, but um, it's not energizing. So then your perspective again, you've been doing this a very long time. Um, what is your, what do you think is going to happen to rowing after this cycle of Olympics? So in 2021, like we see the Olympics, you talked about this earlier. You said that there's going to be a big change in six months. Next six months are going to be exciting for rowing. What do you think is going to happen? What's your, what's your gut? Yeah. Um, you know, the Olympics is always a bit of a reset. You know, it's always a bit of a look around to say, okay, what's working and what's not. I think, um, the, pand the pandemic has really shifted everyone's perspective and particularly at the elite level of how to train. I think that that's going to be a, a, a fascinating, a fascinating um, looking at the results to see who really figured out how to train in the pandemic and who didn't oh, and, who wow. got it right and, and, and who tried some things. And, and, and that's, we see that every Olympics, whether it's altitude training, wind suits, you know, latest blade shapes, you know, training methods. We, we always see the result of some kind of innovation um, at, 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 at that highest end and then, and then what translates. But, but I do think, you know, with, with coastal, with indoor rowing that, um, that there are going to be, there are going to be more, more examples of athletes trying to find different pathways um, to, to stay in our sport. And I think that's exciting. I think finding different avenues to stay involved and engaged. Um, you know, I think, you know, my bias right now is very much focused on what, what happens with coaching. And, and, and I think what, one of the things that I'm most um, concerned about is that the pandemic has, has pushed a lot of really good people out of coaching mm. um, and, 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 and out of sporting organizations in general. And, and I think, how we how we bounce back um, in a, in a healthy way because I do think you know the 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 strength of the the discussion about sports specialization um, going into the pandemic was 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 getting pretty hot pretty hot and heavy you know and and coming out of this you know my 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 hope is that we're able to have you know better and more well-informed discussions that the pandemics taught us something you know pandemics taught us you know a little bit about time to step back. And, you know, we don't have to train not as hard, but as much as we have in certain ways, you know, the, the twice, three times a day, six, seven days a week, you know, that more is better concept. I think that's, that's really been 
been challenged. And again, I think that the Olympics is going to be one of those those true tests of what can you, you know, what what, what do we really need to do and what what's a nice to do, you know. And I think that that again, if I go into the the real specifics of getting a lot of Americans to to learn how to to get in a single and row a single. Maybe that's one of the best byproducts of the pandemic. And the pandemic has been horrible on so many levels. But maybe the one one of the shining lights for rowing is that, that it has got people to think about getting a single. And I know boat manufacturers love it. Um, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well of repairs of singles, but and other sculling boats, but 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 certainly, you know, that that return to, you know, why we do why we do this sport, um, you know, and to be able to Again, learn a lifelong skill of getting in a single that you can do anywhere, anytime. Hey, how cool! So, like, touched a little bit on the pointy yeah, end of, of what happens at the Olympics, but 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 I do think that's an important connection. It's not just what happens with the, the amount of medals that are won, but how does that trickle down? Because I wouldn't be in the sport. I I, I I presume for many people, if it wasn't some moment where you saw someone doing something at the highest level in our sport, you probably wouldn't have either got into it or stayed in it. You know, there's there's a couple of things that you really got me thinking hard about. And I, and I love the reset button on the Olympics. I love that you said the pandemic has shifted training and that at the end of the cycle, we're going to see who did it right and wrong. And then, and then that's when innovation happens. Right. Um, last question here, because we like to keep these things um, about 30 minutes is, um, by the way, this is very valuable. I know a lot of young coaches are going to love this conversation, but I want to know. Who's going to win the men's eight, the women's four, the men's four? Where, give me, like, I, I, tell me, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to win uh, the Olympics this year? The, the, the boats that I care about, women's eight, men's eight. So who do you think is going to win those? And then um, I'd love to know your opinion on the men and women's single. So, like, give it give it to me. Like, who's going to win the eight for the men and women? Oh, Alex, I mean, I think, you know, I, I was out with the men's eight with that group. Tell me, and, yeah. And How good are they? In the last, in the last couple of weeks. And, and I'm, I'm excited with what's going on down, down with, with both groups. I think, I think we've, we've, we've figured a lot of things out. I think, you know, the, again, the pandemic has been, it's been pretty rough, um, you know, for everybody. It's been very rough for everybody. But, but I, you know, I like, I like what I'm seeing there. I think, you know, the, the, the German men, hey, um, that's a that that that's that's a tough one. Yep. I think there there's been some changes over there, so so that'll that'll be interesting. But I think given that we haven't seen anything from anybody in is it a year and a half? But by, by the time we see something, it's going to be a year and a half. I think it, honestly, I I do think it's a little early to to make any you know any real predictions. But coming right. out of what we saw in nineteen, you know, <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing between. You know those those first four or five boats in 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 either of the events, and what we see in the heat, you know, will be it, it it's it's going to be crazy. And and remember, we haven't even gone through qualification, so there'll be another boat in each of those, you know, that that'll that'll throw something. So I, I'm not going to directly answer it. Because... I'm going to directly answer it because that's my job, and I'm allowed to. And I I I am convinced. I'm convinced with you on the U.S. side. I think the women's eight. We'll pull out another victory. I know there's a lot of fast crews out there. I know the Brits are really good. I know even Canada has a fast eight right now on the women's side. Women's eight gold, lock it, lock key, $100 on the table. I think the men's eight is in the medal contention, but not a win. 
my gut still tells me that New Zealand and Germany are really strong boats. The Brits are tough. I don't know if they're going to like go all in on the men's straight four. Um, but I think Tatey and that men's team has something special up their sleeve. I've heard nothing but great things. And I think they get a medal. I don't know about winning, but I think they're young and hungry. And I think that they handled the pandemic really well. Uh, and you can never count Tatey out. So yeah, I, I, I think U.S. wins a medal. I think Germany, New Zealand, U.S. are the top three in the men's. Women's eight, they get it. Men's single, I'm kind of throwing up. I have no clue at this point. I would love to see Ali Zeidler win, but I don't know like if he's capable of, of pulling it out. It'd be a cool story, right? Because like, what a great story. Um, and I don't know much yet about the small sculling boats. I don't know about the quads and the doubles yet. I think women, China is going to win a medal in the quad. Uh, and we're going to see a change in history uh, up here. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I, I agree with you. I think I think what's going on in China is it, there'll be there'll be at least at least one really good you know medal right. contending boat. I think those small boats. You know what what Kara was able to do in the in the single down at trials. Again, I'm going off what we've seen. You know, and and I think right. as we get closer, I, I you know I don't want to speculate, but I think you know Kara and and and. <laughs> Jevy, Jevy, Jevy's, you know, obviously got a very, very accomplished background. So for Kara to win that trial, you know, those those times don't lie, particularly down at Benderson. So at this time of the year, so you know, and I, and I also think, you know, if our lower women's double um, are able to qualify, which I think, you know, I, again, it depends on who shows up. It depends on how they show up, and and then you've got this whole other piece in Tokyo of it's going to be maybe like Beijing in terms of heat, but it's going to be different because a lot of people aren't going to be exposed to the heat. So you're going to see crews overperform like every Olympics and you're going to see a bunch of crews underperform. So, you know, I, I, I think the the, the 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 true test will be once we see how these crews come out in those first couple of World Cups to see how do we compare that to, to the data of a year and a half ago. Oh, I, I, I get I get excited. Kara, she's a she's a cool woman, man. She knows how to pull pull those oars. Um I mean, I, I just, I get excited. Cam, this has been awesome. Thank you for your time today. And I know everyone watching or listening uh, is gonna draw a lot of really great things from this. Uh, something that we care so much about is if we can get the message out there, uh, coaches are gonna learn from your experiences, you know, and and your experience is, is a unique one. I mean, you, you found rowing as a coxswain, you traveled the world, you made you made gut decisions to stay and, and you figured it out and, and here you are a successful coach in rowing. Cam, thank you for doing this with me today. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate um, the time, and and thanks to all your your, your listeners. It's um, you know it's always fun to talk about rowing, and uh, let's get back to it. Let's get back. Let's row smart. Let's row safe, and, and let's have our fun out there. So and there it is. No, thank you, Cam, so much. That is episode five, season three of Rower's Choice podcast. We'll see you all later.